Trust the process. That is a phrase that uh, has been used to describe the Philadelphia 76ers and their move from being one of the worst teams in the NBA to really being a pretty good competition this year. Trust the process. My guest today will uh, use that phrase repeatedly and has over the course of our series on Job and depression. Today we talk about reentry, uh, reengaging life uh, as someone who has uh, what he calls uh, a lifer sort of experience with depression. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. With a podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically, or as we said in those days gone by, theological reflection. Today on the podcast, I'm rejoined by my friend Scott Curry, pastor at the First Baptist Church in Groover, Texas, for more than 20 years. And we pick up uh, from where we left off in our last podcast, only this time we move the uh, level or the... uh, uh, conversation, as it were, to a discussion about reentry, and since we've been talking about depression through the lens of the life of Job and what that looks like, as Scott has worked with the text uh, while he pursues his PhD in Old Testament, particularly Hebrew wisdom literature, it has been insightful along the way. This episode won't disappoint. So listen all the way to the end and. And uh, you will be helped, whether you're a pastor or a lay leader, whether you're a a person who's interested in uh, helping uh, those you know who battle um, uh, the kind of depression that is ongoing, as well as that that might be episodic, um, and uh, those who battle that themselves. A friend of mine who I know does has listened and has found this uh, helpful to him. And so that is our aim, reaching all of those uh, levels and layers of the human experience with uh, what we glean from the text. Um, There are some surprises along the way, uh, just incidental to those discussions, so uh, pay attention to those. And so without uh, really any further introduction needed, since uh, this is really on the heels of our last episode, I give you my conversation with my friend Scott Curry. I'm, I'm excited again to have my friend Scott Curry on. We've had a um, long mutual admiration society uh, going on for, oh goodness, over 20 years. And um, we picked up the subject of Job, uh, primarily because it is of great interest to Scott. And we kind of been working through some of the theological implications that he's discovered in his uh, PhD work and his uh, interest and love for uh, Hebrew wisdom literature. So Scott's great to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Todd. Good to be back. And uh, just by way of introduction, since it's been a while, I might remind folks uh, something that you and I do have in common. Uh, We've been at our churches for over 20 years, me going on 23, you, I think, is actually a little longer than that. So that does bespeak of the goodness uh, and grace of God and the love for uh, or the love in our churches to allow us to do that. Furthermore, I might also add this morning as we segue into our time together that, yes, it is true Job has been uh, an interest for me, to me. It's also true that I am uh, a lifer. I deal with depression 
And I like to think that I have overcome, but by the same token, I have to say that it is a process. Uh, I do come from a particular perspective this morning, and that is uh, I'm not talking about a person when uh, I talk about depression, not talking about a person who has gone through a difficult experience, been put on some kind of an antidepressant, and then uh, quickly, if not eventually, they are uh, taken off the medication. That's not my story. My story is, is it ambushed me a number of years ago, and I went through the entire cycle of uh, suicidal thoughts, so forth and so on. Eventually now, and I'm going to say, my goodness, it's probably been 12 years, I uh, find myself in a good place. It hasn't taken 12 years to get me to that place, but it's, take, it's taking 12 years to get me to a place where I can say I'm at a good place. I've. It's not that it was bad up until... Uh, recently but it's it was it was work and the process will continue if i if i can say anything to folks that are listening it is this uh depression regardless of how you handle it if you have a life sentence like myself i want you to know that number one it is a process uh it will probably never become something that you can simply ignore because as we get on a medication and our body metabolizes them differently, then we have to go back to our doctor and, and we have to do something different at that point. So the first thing I want to say is it is a process. Please don't forget that. I can't overstate that. If we try to set up for ourselves these uh, unreachable goals, we'll be disappointed. We set ourselves up for failure. The second thing I want to say is this. There is life after the initial diagnosis and uh, life is good. So as we come at this thing today, all of that to say this, uh, I will come from a particular perspective, and that's my perspective. I don't speak for everyone that's ever dealt with depression. I come at it from my own perspective, and I think, uh, I don't know, you might ask Job, but I think it was pretty close to his perspective as well. Yeah, Scott, I don't want to risk spiritualizing anyone's event but I'm wondering if it's possible if someone were to go back and listen to our segments together as we've kind of walked through um, your insights, uh, uh, your discoveries, and where they intersect your experience, particularly with uh, a life or uh, sentence of depression as you describe it, if we couldn't at least try to help those who don't have that experience in their um, history and and yet and struggle with what, what to make of it, how to help, how to be close. I'm wondering, it's not an exact corollary, but would you think that if someone comes to faith and let's say they come to faith as a, as a child or, or they come as a later adolescent, maybe a high school, early college, and now they look up and they're in their late 30s, 40s, or like us, beyond that. And they're trying to grasp this. And if they took just enough time to look back over their experience with the Lord, their experience with life, and trying, you know, to work out their faith, as Paul describes it, with fear and trembling, they would likely discover that 
while we have come to understand grace and its wonder and its splendor and the, the comfort of the love of God, that if we are self-aware, we have this life sentence of sorts, always battling and struggling against the powers that work against uh, our maturity, our growth, our sanctification, if you will, such that it's, it's not the same it, it, in direct corollary, but it is at least if you can get it in your mind that you, we never arrive at where we think we are. Hmm. And we're never as successful as we want people to think we are. And so in some sense, there's always this, I go to sleep at night remembering, boy, I really, really, um, my display of anger today really was not an expression of God's grace to my neighbor. Hmm. And, and so I know I, I don't want to mix the two, but in trying to help someone understand when you describe life or when you describe process, when you describe long term, we probably ought to keep in the back of our mind a phrase that Peterson used with uh, his little book on the songs of ascent. It's a long obedience in the same direction. So when you press people to trust the process, we're saying you got to trust that life is that process with God and some days you suck at it. Mm, indeed. Uh, I think what I'm going to say uh, to that, uh, I'm not going to give you time to take a drink. Uh, that was good. Next. Actually, it was it was very good. Uh, life, I think that connection is fair, and I think it is underspoken much of the time. When we talk about process, I think we are in danger of um, getting our hands around one particular compartment and forgetting about other compartments, especially men were good at compartmentalizing. But it is fair to say, yes, uh, this trip, this pilgrimage that I'm on, the long obedience in the same direction, it is part of a process just like my spiritual walk, my spiritual formation, uh, living in grace, uh, accepting Christ and then living therein, that is a process as well. And so I don't ever want people to think that because uh, this kind of depression is a process. I don't want them to think that somehow process is a bad word. We right. are living in process. And if we're not living in process, then, and I'm going to pick up on something that you said, then we're at a place whereby the spiritual warfare is going to be, um, it's going to be very easy to overlook simply because if you're doing nothing, you're going to encounter nothing. And so the spiritual warfare is very real. Uh, the depression is very real. The process, that's life. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I, I also think at the outset, uh, something that we talked about last time. And, and folks, by the way, if, if you haven't listened to the just previous episode, let me encourage you to stop with this one and go back and listen. Because... Um, what we are going to approach and what our plan is anyway, and our plans sometimes fail and we may carry on, but we're in process. Yeah, we're in process. Right. Um, but one thing I, I don't want to do by trying to draw that corollary for folks who um, have not battled uh, depression, one at any level, two at the lifer level, I don't want to anyway by drawing that particular correlation to the process of individual sanctification or progress in the faith, 
in any way indicate that when it comes to what we've been talking about, that if you just get your spiritual life right, you won't battle that. You won't have that. That's the, the root causes are not, that's not what we're talking about. And, it, and so I think I used the phrase last time, you know, some people will lovingly try to give advice and say, if you just pray it, you pray it away, just pray it away. And, and we're not talking about, um, I'm, I'm down today and I just need a little sunlight. We're talking about a much a deeper experience of life uh, of which we don't have control. And it's That's not right. like I can, I can reach over and open the shades. It's not like I can go hit a tanning bed and I'll be better. It's not like, that's not what we're talking about. So right. I really want to, I really want to caution that nobody hears the corollary drawn as if to say, well, see there, those two guys got on there. And they ran their jaws. And what they really said was, if someone was just a little bit more spiritual, they wouldn't have these problems. That is not what we're saying. The intention of the corollary was to try to help folks who don't have this experience to try to figure out if they could look at their own lives and see how they understand themselves. And will, if they're faithfully honest with themselves, we'll, we'll know that their whole life's been a process of faith. And some days it's not been very good. That's the only corollary to make. Don't, uh, do not hear, please, through whatever filter you've got, that I am insinuating or explicitly stating that this is something, if you were just, if you were just more spiritual, you'd be better. So uh, with that caution, what, what we really had in mind today was is, is to uh, wrestle the subject of re-entry. That is, uh, maybe a better description would be, okay, um, and I'm going to let Scott kind of fill in. It's, it's, it's his idea, uh, but, but what, I, what I want you to hear is trying to attempt, and then you can judge if we got there, is, is that anybody who has an experience, and in this case, particularly wrestling through getting my, chemist, my, my chemistry correct, where I, what I don't have control over, and now I've, I've found my better place. Scott says he's in a better place. Now there's a whole range of accompanying emotions and relationships and, and setting, and you're trying to re-enter those. You're trying to get back, and you have fear, what are pe- how are people going to respond? What are they going to think? How am I going to respond? How, how can I be confident I'm at that good place? And, and so sometimes it's, it's a re-entry. If, if we can go back to a theme we played last time, talking about, I think you used the word, um, did, was it incarceration? Yes, incarceration. Incarceration. So if, if we draw that metaphor out, and if you've ever helped anybody who has been incarcerated re-enter what we would call normal society, if you've ever sat down, there's a whole range of things they feel and experience. And so keep that kind of in mind when we're talking about re-entry. This is really kind of what we're after. Is how do we, how do we re-engage life on the terms we were familiar with before we discovered what was going on with us that we had no control. Is that, is that fair description? Do you got something else there, Scott? No, I think, I think it's very fair. I think that, uh, let me also ask you, uh, you might have to prompt my memory, but I want to give briefly a little bit of uh, undercurrent as to my story and why 
uh, we're using the terminology that we're using. Before I do, though, I know that one of our target groups is pastor theologian. Yes. When we get to the end of Job, there is an obvious process by which Job re-enters living, okay? And heretofore in the book of Job, we've talked about everything that has happened. I will not try to relive that except to say that one of the things that happens when Job gets to the end is the writer takes Job right back to God, right back to the God speeches. And I think that for those of us in on staff positions, in our churches, whatever the case may be, here's where this kind of reentry becomes compulsory. If we're dealing with our calling and we say, you know what, I do not believe that I have a short-term calling like someone like the prophet Amos. I believe it is a life kind of calling. And yet you've been tempted to, or even perhaps you have stepped off. Okay, I'm out. I just cannot. And I will tell you that someone who has depression they do step off to one degree or another. That may mean that I cannot continue the intensity uh, with people and relationships like I used to. It may mean that I stepped all the way out of ministry and I'm done. It may mean that I stepped out of ministry, I lost my family. It could mean a lot of things. Now, let's talk about reentry. Uh, Dr. Littleton is right. When you start talking about moving beyond the depressive kind of state. I'm going to say moving from death unto life because sometimes you do feel like, um, well, you feel like sometimes the best thing, the best models are people, much like Jesus himself, who said, all right, look, here, here are my scars. Look at my hands. Uh, it's almost like if we're going to be the testimony we need to be, we do need to re-enter that calling of God. And we're going to have to realize that it's not going to be like it used to be. It wasn't with Job. Uh, as a matter of fact, I might underscore that by saying that uh, it was actually better, at least that's kind of the indication of the writer, because Job gets back double. Uh, so it doesn't have to be, uh, I'm never going to be the man. I'm never going to be the woman that I used to be. It doesn't have to be that. What it does have to be, though, we have to have a recognition that, you know what? We're all in process. There's that word. And and Romans 8.29 defines the good of Romans 8.28, which is to be conformed to the image of his son. So I would dare say if we are the same, having gone through what Job went through, if we are the same on the other side of the ash heap, then something's wrong. And I'm not just talking about depression. I'm just talking about the fact that though it is not about a weak faith, it is not Dr. Lilton's right uh, it is about brain chemistry, the uh, norepinephrine levels uh, in the brain, the chemicals get off the serotonin levels, and you're not going to pray your way back, not if that's the case. Now, God can reach down and heal you, but if he chooses to utilize doctors, you better listen to him because you're playing with fire if you think that you can pray your way out of it. Spirituality has nothing to do with the condition. It has everything to do with your recovery, all right? It has everything to do. God is the one that has kept me in this thing for as long as I've been in it. I wanted to step off hurriedly uh, in haste. Let me say this. When I, quote unquote, got better, you have to understand that I was hardwired a certain way growing up. Things weren't good in the home. Uh, I learned some, as a child, you do the best you can to assimilate and process. You do not have the tools 
uh, emotionally. And so what I did is I just adopted some positions, the primary of which was this. I determined that uh, I would not be hurt anymore because people had hurt me. So I became Teflon. Nothing sticks. And growing up, that was my default. That was the way I was hardwired. So one of the things I would say to you is once the medication took hold, and again, the spiritual process of holding on to God and your Symbolta at the same time, you know, you say, God, this thing, it's going to be different. I know it's going to be different. It doesn't have to be worse, but it's going to be different. You mentioned, I think you used the word feelings. When I came out of that uh, through which I had come, I came to a place where I realized how powerful the medication is in as much as I would encounter before I was on the medication, I would encounter something and I would handle it a particular way. I was handling it out of the way that I'd been hardwired, which was Teflon, which means that I was more gruff. I was probably a little more aggressive than I should be. And I was certainly um, a little more condemnatory. Well, now I encounter the same thing post-medication And I recognize not only through the word of God, but just by the way that I feel that something's not right. I encounter the same situation. I know how I handled it then, but I also know that was wrong. So I'm going to have to handle this a different way. And so you choose the way you're going to handle it. The problem is it doesn't feel right because I handled it pursuant to the way I felt then Now, I don't know how to feel because it doesn't feel the same. And so there is a lot of confusion. There's a lot of battling. But again, if we're going to use the word, if we're going to adopt the word process, I think it's fair to say that the reentry, and I do want to talk to ministers, men and women uh, who are in particular called the ministry and serving in churches or are going to, and then, of course, I always want to reach an audience that has dealt with this on their particular level. But there's going to have to be, if if it comes down to, for me to be faithful to God's call on my life, I'm going to have to re-enter at a different level. It does not have to be worse, but it is different. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to have to continue to engage in the process. Mm-hmm. The process does not end once we feel better. Right. The process must be lived in real life. And so that's, I think, uh, primarily the issue of which you were talking, you were uh, uh, leading us to this place as you, as you utilized this kind of a segue. I think you were, you were providing a, a, almost a perfect bridge to, to bring us up to snuff with Job 42 and with the realization that this is real life stuff. It's got to be lived out. And after the process of overcoming, quote unquote, you're still in process. If you're me, okay, this is my depression story. Uh, and by the way, I want to say it again, I'm not a doctor either. And so I'm not here to prescribe. All I'm here to do is to relate. This is my story. And I think it does um, weave in and out of the reality, not only of life, but of Job. Uh, Job is life. I think that is real life. I think that's why we struggle with it so much. But your life now on the other side, the uh, getting to the other side is just the launching pad. It is not the goal. 
Mm. Now you got to re-engage. Now you've got to continue to be faithful. Now you have a different vision. You're going to have to pony up and realize that this too is going to be very uncomfortable. And I think that in all fairness, that brings us now to our text today. Yeah. And as we approach the text, I thought of another sort of metaphorical picture for pastors and ministers who um, engage uh, folks. And and they can recall the time where a couple approached them about uh, some marital counseling, struggling with a particular issue or multiple issues. And, and you sit down for the first time or the second time, and you hear something like, if I could just get back to where I was. Mm-hmm. Well, in those settings, you really don't want to do that. And so it, there, there's a little bit uh, to keep in mind that, that when you describe um, the different feelings as we re- re-engage, and then from there, it's just the launching pad. It's not the destination. Because if you're not careful, you will return to where you were to produce the things of where you are. So you're looking for, okay, what is it that I, how how I reenter, how I reengage now, where I can now move myself to a different place. So whether it's in a marriage or a friendship, or I think it fits here that you keep in mind that I really don't want to go back to that. Uh, I, I really, now that I'm, a, I'm self-aware, I know what's going on in my body. I know what's going on in my brain. I, I want to get to the place now where I can really, as you, I, I'm okay. Now I, I'm, I'm still living. Yeah. And there's still living to go for a job. I'm still living. I want to live. So I don't want to go back. I, wa- I, I want to press forward. So I have to engage whatever process, not just that got me into that. Here, here's life to live again, but I want to carry that on. And, you know, as with any kind of uh, uh, imagery of, of reentry, your risks of not staying with the process uh, mean you, you probably won't last that long. That's right. I, I, would, I was reminded as you were speaking, talking about, you know, you may not want to go back to where you were. One of the things that the book of Job does is it... And I know what we're saying when we say that kind of thing, that we're saying, I want to be healthy and whole. I understand understand that. Now, what's interesting in my story is, is I had not been healthy and whole for a long time. I just didn't know it. You see, when depression becomes a part of you, you, you don't realize that you're depressed. And so you think that the way you see the world is the norm, that that's the way everybody sees it. And it's not. And so there's a self-deceiving kind of thing that goes on. Now, in fairness, it's very, very hard to be so self-aware that you recognize immediately that you're depressed when you really don't have a comparison. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. And so I went for years. Now, talking about, again, the way things were, once I started on the other side of the ash heap, I began, I realized, number one, I've got some relationships that I've got to fix because in my depression, I let things anger me that should not anger a normal person. And so my response followed my anger. And I'm going to have to go back now and I'm going to have to heal some relationships. I realized that I was going to have to eat quite a bit of crow. And I would tell you that in the local church, now, you're talking about things being different, you know, not the same, being different, don't have to be worse. Well, 
if they're going to be better, there are some things that are going to follow. And that is, uh, for me, at least as a pastor, I had to eat quite a bit of crow. I want you to know, um, pheasant, dove, quail, (laughs) not bad. Crow, not good. And so, you know, I had to do that because that was a part of my re-entry. Now, grateful. You, you, you serve a people, you work with a people that once you explain, they're not going to understand. Right. People who have not had this, it's just like me trying to explain to you what having a baby is like. I've never done that. Right. My wife could do a much better job. So you explain it to people. You don't make a huge deal. You don't want them to think, oh my gosh, this guy, he's, he's in a bad place. You don't do any of that. You don't make a big deal, but you do explain. And then you hope that not only that number one touches some people who may be struggling with the same thing, but number two, that your people understand, okay, you know, if it was bad earlier with him may or her, maybe this is a chance to, to start over, to get into this thing. Let's just see how it goes. And so that's kind of a parenthetic uh, uh, approach right now, but I think it's, it needs to be said that usually you got some things you need to clean up once you get on the other side of it. Right. So, so then to get us kind of um, an opportunity to kind of consider um, this process that we've referred to. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that honestly, if you go back to even the first episode where kind of we started venturing down this road, um, someone could listen and, and weave it together. Honestly, there, there have been hints, but if we were going to kind of draw those things together in an, in an episode to say, what are, what are kind of, and, and I, and I, I want to caution, it, it, we're not talking about simple steps, but we're talking about simple descriptions of steps. Yes. There's a difference. And most of the time, what people are looking for is I want something more, more simple. And this isn't, there isn't, none of this is simple. But we want to describe them simply so that they're not overwhelming. And so how would you how would you describe if you were going to kind of simply describe a, a, a process of reentry or the part of the process that we call re, we're calling reentry? You know, what are what are some of the things or how would you describe that, Scott? Let me um, let me first say that I hope that. Uh, and again, I'm going to come back on my faith because, as you well know, our faith is everything. Without our walk with Christ, um, we just do not do well. I'm hoping that as I have walked through the difficulty, let's just say it's depression, that I've learned some things. Okay, one of the things that I hope I have I have learned is that the uh, the cute little platitudes, uh, the the superficial kinds of ways in which people probably mean well, but those things just don't fit my life anymore. All right. I'm going to see things, I hope, more clearly, biblically than I did before the process. Now, that being said, uh, I'm going to take my text here and and let's just walk through a couple of things, because uh, as you mentioned, we want to try to be as as understandable, as translatable as we can be. I'm going to attempt that. I'm going to let Job kind of do that for us. I know he could do it far better than myself, and so I'm going to let him take the lead. When we get to chapter 42, and we're in verse 6, and there's a whole lot that goes on. We're not going to take the time to describe that, but verse 6 says, therefore, this is Job speaking. He says, I retract 
and I repent in dust and ashes. The word retract is a word there. Now, you said it. Uh, you said that there's nothing easy about this. This, this is going to take courage. When Job says, I retract, I think that the segue there is perhaps something that I described earlier. Okay, I have a strong resolve now. I've been through the experience. I realize because I've been through the experience that I, it could happen again. It could happen to anyone. It could happen to a family member. So what I'm saying is, is uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I can't flatter myself. I'm nobody special. Everyone has suffered, all right? People have a story. Job says, all right, now I've had an experience that has led me spiritually to a place where I have to, I have to say with a strong resolve, things have got to change. Now I have to build that bridge. I'm going to have to get in there. So the first thing I'm going to say is if indeed during the time uh, you or someone on your behalf threw in the towel, somebody, and that somebody now has to be you, you have to walk out into the ring, pick it up, bring it back and embrace it. It's time. All right. It is time. I can't uh, use this now as an excuse. I refuse to be the victim. Job says, all right, now that I've seen you, I retract. Then we have this interesting description in the uh, epilogue here, verses 7 through 17. And I will say process, kind of a process by which Job re-enters, I'm going to say, into civilization, into his world. Uh, I'm telling you, some of these experiences can feel otherworldly. The, the pattern, though, that I see here is that step by step, Job makes his way back in to what we're going to call community. If you will allow me, I don't want to jump too far ahead. I really do not want to land in the New Testament with this. But I'm going to use the word church, uh, the word community, and I'm going to do it for this reason. I still believe the church is very important today. Now, you would say, well, you do this for a living. That's why. Choose whatever argument fits you. But I'm telling you, the church is very important. I have found myself kind of isolating. That's the way I handle difficulties. Now I'm back. In verse 7, it says, uh, Job 42, it came about after the Lord has spoken uh, this word, these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, Let's not go too quickly through this. The, the word for servant in verse 7 is a, is a designation of honor, all right? Now, remember what I said. Things are going to be different. That doesn't mean they have to be worse. And so now, as Job comes out on the other side of this, God himself uh, indicates that now Job is a servant. If you look at, for example, in the book of Joshua, Beginning of the book, it says that uh, Moses was God's servant and Joshua was Moses's aide. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Then you get on later down the, the, the latter part of the book of Joshua. Moses is gone, and of course, and Joshua now has become God's servant. That is a designation of honor. It is not easily applied. Uh, it is something by which God does. And so, in essence, what I'm saying is, okay, things are different. One of the things that's different is I have a different relationship with God. 
as I mentioned earlier, the platitudes that perhaps I had used that had been used with me, they don't work. Little things like uh, when someone passes away, well, God just needed them more than we do, or God just, when a child dies, heaven forbid, uh, that, oh, well, God just needed a little angel. People mean well, but the truth of the matter is these sayings, though they may be well-meaning, are absolutely detrimental because you tell people those kinds of things long enough, and all of a sudden their Christianity is propped up by the uh, pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by kind of thing. All of a sudden God becomes reducible and domesticated. I understand everything about God, and I have all the answers. And I would warn our listeners today, again, perhaps parenthetically, but I would beware of pastors, uh, spiritual guides, whatever the case may be, that know all the answers. If they can put the puzzle together piece by piece, and it just looks absolutely marvelous every time, then I would question whether or not they are actually working with a puzzle that speaks real life, because the Bible doesn't allow us to do that. Though we might want those kinds of answers, the Bible does not allow us to do that. So we're in, we're in the chapter 42, verse number seven. God says, my wrath is kindled against you. He's talking about Eliphaz. Eliphaz becomes the uh, unfortunate representative of the three friends. And God says, you know what? I've got a problem. I've got a problem with you guys. And I'm angry. And I'm angry because throughout this process, theologically, you have gotten in Job's way. Now, let me come back and say it again. We don't want to get in God's way in ministering to people by, by offering a platitude when something happens. We don't want to get in a person's way who is seeking God because we've offered a platitude that they've actually thought about, thought through, and come to the other end and said, but now wait a minute. If that's true, then what about this? Is God, is he arbitrary? Is God uh, capricious? Is God all actually that flippant with our lives? And so uh, don't you think uh, as a pastor that we have to be very, very careful when we respond to people that we do so genuinely? Oh, yeah, I do. I do without question. Um, I think that um, sometimes our familiarity with a circumstance um, and the, if we could call it, I know some people don't think we have uh, experienced the drudge of the job, but we, we can come off as though we're not even there. And so um, you do have to remember that, that present being present is kind of the, the, the way we describe being genuine. And, and someone knows if you're with them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they know. Yeah, they and do. So and often, and, and no, I want to no. say, let me, let me say this real yeah. quick. I mean, if you go back to chapter two, the best thing the friends did was was to show up and shut up. Right. That's that's exactly right. And and I think that that uh, um, one of the reasons we use platitudes is because being present scares us. You know, we're afraid of of what to say. And so because we're not present and and it's very uncomfortable to hear what's going on in the ash heap, 
we trot that out so that we don't have to kind of take in that experience and, and, and uh, which results really in our empathy and compassion. And so, um, yes to your question strongly, uh, genuine or present is, uh, that's what, that's what, um, I mean, that's the whole role idea of shepherding, caring, uh, entails. So that's a, a, a moment to remind not just our pastors and, and church leaders that are listening, but friends who want to be friends, mm-hmm. you know, need to be present. Yes. Because remember, I think we've said it before. One of the hardest parts is, is, is it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable for us when we are discomfited by the experience of our friends. To your point, exactly. To your point, um, when we show up, we say what we say for us. It's not for the person that's, we feel uncomfortable. You tell a kid to stop crying. Uh, it's because you're embarrassed. Uh, and I'm talking about now, you know, a fair situation. Uh, not that they're throwing a fit, but, you know, you, you've got a kid that's crying. They have fallen. They're hurt. And we say, shh, 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 shh. Well, we're doing that because their crying makes us feel uncomfortable. So we walk into an uncomfortable situation, a grieving situation, and because we're uh, we are uncomfortable, we fa- think we have to say something. Absolutely, that's absolutely yeah. right. And if we're not careful, we send people on a particular journey with what we say that that may may be something they have to overcome down the line. And so you know, here we are. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say this is this has been uh, the way you describe um, uh, Eliphaz getting in the way of how God is going to carry Job through the experience. Someone ought to uh, uh, be immediately triggered to the forty-two chapters of the book. Mm. About thirty plus of them being people getting in the way. Mm. And that elongates sometimes how a person is actually aided or helped. Mm. And, and, and so there has to be that whether, you know, so if we're thinking about this as a, a play with acts, the, the acts that are, are taking up the greatest midsection are the ones you're just going, can we get on with the story? You know, but we sometimes don't realize we actually some may actually contribute to the elongated process. To the process. And also uh, in that uh, a contributor might be that our theology is terrible. And oh. that's the thing that I was talking. And that's that's the problem here with Eliphaz. These guys, Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, one of the things that seems to tick God off, if I may is the fact that as they wrestled with Job in these arguments, that their theological persuasion, if indeed he had followed, if he had, um, if he had acquiesced, given up, given in to that kind of, we have the answers, that kind of theological persuasion, the suggestion here is, is that God would not have been willing to call him a servant. Right. So, so we've got we've got this playing out by way of re reentry, and I think we have to understand that that part of the reentry is we've got to hold fast 
to a uh, part of the, the process is we have to hold fast to the true God. And that's exactly what Job was doing, even in the face of those who are called our friends. They may mean well, but they are wrong, and they are wrong over and over and over again. And so Job, he embraces this. He gets to verse 8, and the Bible says, Now therefore take for yourself seven bulls, seven rams. Go to my servant Job. Go to Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly. You kind of get the impression that God may be ready to say, poof, you're gone. You know, yeah. poof, I've had it. Yeah, and and this this is one of those places where I think getting our theology right is also important is it's not just that the imagery is that uh, God is incredibly put out by Eliphaz, but it's also embedded in that description that you have brought it on yourself. Yes. You know, and so we, we want to make sure we get this right, that God is basically saying, I'm going to, if, if you don't, Here's your opportunity to make amends. Mm. If you don't, your decisions are the thing that are going to make you go poof. Because our translation of that tends to be God is up there ogreish style going to going to make someone go poof because he's he's a bit ticked off. But here the aim is he's he's brought Job to this place and he wants to bring Eliphaz too. Mm. But Eliphaz needs to make his own self-discovery that he's gotten in his own way and he's gotten in God's way. Yes. And the consequence of getting in there is actually, the, the consequences are, are wired into the experience. Yes. You get in the way, the consequences are you're, you're going to bring on your own demise. That's right. That's, that's what I think happens like, uh, you know, when, and, and I know we're, we're staying Old Testament, but, you know, when, when someone says, uh, John says, who told you to flee the wrath to come? The wrath to come was actually the consequence of their staying in Jerusalem, locked into a religious system that was actually killing people. Yes. And, and, and so if you keep killing people, eventually you're going to get killed because yes, that it's how, so I think that's a tremendous kind of, you know, footnote to call back to that, when we get in the way of helping, and then how frustrated have you been, Pastor? How frustrated have you been, friend, when it seems like, well, they just don't listen? Well, did you ever think that maybe the problem is you're in the way mm. and that you've not been present, you've not been genuine, you're afraid of the experience, and you're actually elongating the process, not getting them to the place. And maybe something about you being engaged is actually also God at work in you. That's a part that's often missed. Yes. Can we, can we be fair and offer, offer this up for consideration? Our tendency is to want to run in and rescue people. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know in my ministry, I don't know of any greater sin than my wanting to run in and rescue people when in all actuality, 
my attempt becomes an enablement. Hmm. And there are times when the best thing a person can do is just sit there on the ash heap and wrestle with it. Now, I will be there with you. I will be there with you. Yeah. I will be your pastor, but I I will resist the urge to try to make you feel better mm-hmm. about whatever's happening in your life. I, I mean, if we're talking about a, a death of a loved one, all right, now that's that's a little bit different. But but let's let's spin that just a little bit and say that somebody is is actually going through something. Uh, let's say like an elephant, uh, you know, and it's been a self-sabotaging kind of thing. And it may very well be that what you have earned, you being Eliphaz or someone else, you have earned your exile, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're going to have to deal with it for 70, 72 years, whatever the case may be, because God knows that the best way for us to quit engaging in harmful behavior is to be hurt badly by it the first time. And until we are hurt badly, there is at least the hint that we will continue to do what we have been doing, even if it is not productive, counterproductive, we'll continue. Yeah, yeah, good. That's good. Yeah, and so Job comes through this thing, and all right, we're we're beyond the uh, the ash heap kind of thing. We're on the other side. I, 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 I not like now, like now like no other time, but but right now, right now, I've got to grab my courage with both hands because, okay, there's some things that have to be done. And these things are going to include people. And I think that's part of 7 through 17. And let me also hasten to say that this, this, um, this epilogue, I think it's fair to say that this is the conclusion to the whole story. Mm-hmm. It's not the conclusion to the God speech or the Elihu or what to the whole story. Mm-hmm. I think that is fair. The bookends of the story are pretty much the same. If you look at the prologue and the epilogue, the names for God, so forth and so on, what you're going to find is, is that these two really are bookends. And so this is the conclusion to the whole story, the entire counsel of the story. So context is important. Now, uh, we get into uh, verse number nine, Eliphaz. Um, and Bildad and Zophar went and did as the Lord told them. Notice now it's not just uh, Eliphaz. He's the one that is, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, he called Eliphaz out, Eliphaz out, but he did so on behalf of all three of these guys. Right. And so they do it. And it says, and the Lord accepted Job. That's an interesting statement. Some translations are different. Actually, what it says there is that the Lord lifted up Job's face as if to say, okay, we are in process now, and I'm going to give you a little confidence, a little courage. Now, let's keep going. It says in verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Well, we we just mentioned that, that he gets, you know, Job gets twice as much as he had before. Now, let me just draw a couple of things out here. One thing I've already said is that it'll be 
different doesn't have to be worse, okay? So let's deal with that. The second thing I would say here is that there's not, one of the things that I think, I think is suggested in this is that, you know, there's not going to be a return to the way things were before, all right? Uh, uh, God restores the fortunes of Job when he prayed to friend. He increased all that Job had twofold. So there's not going to be a return, not going to happen. Well, as we continue, verse number 11, and this is interesting again because now all of a sudden we have indication that Job's family seems to be interested in Job again. I think it's fair at this point to revisit what we've said earlier regarding the fact that one of the primary questions throughout Job is, who will be Job's friend? And as as we've noted, the friends tend to uh, tend to stick around but they're actually being uh, unfaithful in the way that they are uh, bringing these accusations against Job, uh, seemingly on behalf of God. And then, of course, we've seen that God deals with that. So now the brothers come around, the sisters come around, and and I do want to say it again. I I think it's interesting that now they show up. I want to be be fair. I want to be fair because I've had people, and you probably have too, they go through a difficult time. I had a lady one time call me. She was in a particular Bible study. She was very upset. She was upset because something had happened in her family uh, with one of the family members. And, I mean, it was it was known pretty well. I'm in a small town. You know, everything's a scandal, right? So here we are. Uh, the lady goes to a Bible study, and uh, nobody, nobody says anything to her about the situation. No comfort, no prayer, no nothing. But she calls me, and she, she's upset. Uh, what kind of Christians would do that? Why, you know, I don't understand this church, yada, yada. Okay, so now she's upset, and uh, the people are clueless. They don't know that this is happening. And so I had to bring her back to, I think, a reality, and that is this. People don't know what to say. That's why there seems to be a segregating when these kinds of things happen. Uh, People don't know how to say it. People don't know when to say it. Um, And so I think we have to allow the text to speak to us on a number of different levels here. Yes, I'm going to say something about the fact that they were not involved, but at least the text does not indicate they were. But then I'm going to come back and say, um, in all fairness, there are some sufferings through which we must go along. Mm. Right. Um, I'm going to say a Psalm 23 kind of thing, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. You know, the personal pronoun there is singular, I. Mm-hmm. And so, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you know, but of course you're rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we're in this thing whereby, number one, people feel very uncomfortable. Number two, um, some things we must do alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wrestle sometimes alone. Now, I would also argue that if you would look at someone, let's just say, for example, the life of Jacob, uh, wrestling alone at night paid big dividends for him. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of what Job's epilogue is trying to say is that, yes, grab your courage, move forward. It, it, Again, as you have said, we're far from being finished. We have life to live. And part of this, you're going to have to understand that uh, Jesus called us sheep. 
okay? People, you're dealing with people, right? In verse number 11, here they show up. Um, and I don't want to say more than the text says, but, you know, you almost get the impression, at least I do, that, you know, they didn't come in and, and oh, Job, we're sorry, oh, have you been? I mean, I, I want to be careful because I'm, right. I'm really right. about to do what I know you always do, and that is eisegete the text. However, <laughs> uh, what, what I'm thinking here, though, is, you know, you, you kind of get this scene whereby they just show up, uh, and it's almost like they don't want to say a thing. Hey, here we are. Uh, everything should be good. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Things are not going to be the same. They're going to be different. There's not going to be a return. That doesn't mean they have to be worse. Right. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then we have the numbers of the donkeys and the oxen, the camels, so forth. Uh, he had seven sons and three daughters. Uh, we might even give a glance towards the gematria, the numbering system for the Jews, and 10, of course, would mean wholeness, a sense of completeness, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Uh, then he goes through and he names uh, the children. Verse 15, he mentions the women. And interestingly enough, it says, the latter part of verse 15, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. Well, that's unheard of. Where is the firstborn consideration? Well, all right, things are not going to be the same. You get the impression that one of the things that has happened to Job is he has a different sense now of what justice is. Hmm. Wow. What justice is. Wow. What is fairness? What is generosity? Now... We can wrap up quickly, so I'm going to just engage momentarily. I'm going to pop it back in your direction quickly, but I, I want to say this. When all of this occurs, whatever this is in your life, if you don't waste your pain, then you will come out on the other side Provided you come out on the other side, I, I, I'm not trying to be cute here because, you know, there's a real crucifixion story in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, he did come out on the other side, but it was kind of after the fact. Now, with this scenario, grab your courage, embrace the suffering, re-engage. Job would never have had the change of mindset by way of the patriarchal positioning or his justice uh, vision or it not for his struggle. So what do you think? You know, that's, I, I have not observed that. That is fantastic. That will show up in my February series here uh, on, in Sunday evenings when we talk about women that is that and and here's a, here's something i noticed as you were kind of describing walking us through my eisegesis did you notice Your that eyes, yeah I, I did uh, so i thought i'd inject a little no um in when if you look at 7 through 17 and for those who may not be as familiar with hebrew poetry and wisdom literature as scott and i pretend to be that is, Scott doesn't pretend, I pretend to be. 
you you see something in the more prosy ending that I I I didn't see till you're walking us through, and that is there is a bit of a parallelism as God says to Job's friends, here is what you do. And and so naturally our bent would be, God, would you smite my friends who didn't help me? Mm-hmm. But God is actually demonstrating how grace ought to flow out of Job's life. So then you turn around and the way that that shows up is in that justice piece, that that taking a part of that patriarchal kind of system where the girls are named and the brothers are included, which is a complete reversal. Mm. The parallelism now is how's that, how does Job demonstrate that? Here, Job watches what God does graciously toward these guys who got in the way, that rather than smite them and remove them, here's the, here's the provision of grace. Job becomes that Christ figure, if you will, through the one who bring your sacrifices to him. And then out of that, Job then becomes, okay, now I've got to demonstrate. How do I demonstrate that? Well, now naturally I look around and what's in my, well, number one, there is nothing in the text about him scolding his family for not showing up. That is, that is clearly grace. And the resulting grace that they feel is actually an unrequired gift. Yes. Yes. Whoa. Yes. I mean, it is. There, it is. there it is. They, 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 how did he get his wealth? Don't miss. I don't know how many brothers and sisters and extended family he had and all his other acquaintances, but when they show up bringing gold, like mm-hmm. it doesn't take long to get double what you had. Yes. Right? yes. So here, I mean, this is, this is, I had not seen this till you walk through that. And, and that's just, I mean, now you, you, you book in that and, and now you, you, you factor in kind of a vision of grace that really gets, um, we get distracted from, here we go, by the protracted interim mm. where the friends got in the way. And, and sometimes we can ab- actually obscure the grace that we think we're trying to point people toward. Ah, that's, I, yes. uh, yeah. I, I like and, and let me say, I have to say that, you know, um, uh, immediately I have to hasten to say that I believe that the uh, discussion, the conversation, so forth with the friends, I think it serves a purpose in the whole story. Sure. In as much as what you have is they are wrestling with why is this happening to Job, quote unquote, for no reason. Right. 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 For no reason. It's interesting that uh, in some ways the question becomes the answer. Correct. Uh, even though there, there is no really clear-cut answer, I have to say that it, it actually raises more questions than, than it answers. But why am I suffering for no reason? You're suffering for no reason. Right. Now, that's not much of an answer, but that's kind of what you're left with. Now, watch this. Watch this. You're talking about Job having to receive an offering. Well, it's interesting because I think as we're moving into this thing and we get to the very end of it, there is something else that I believe is is difficult. We've talked about the difficulty of re-entry, but watch this now. Verses 16 and 17 says, after this, 
Now, mm. it's mm. almost like, um, okay, forget all that. It's almost like it puts suffering in its place. Mm. Mm. Then it says, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations. Mm. Now, I'm going to have to stop and say this. One of the issues is, okay, so God, it's in your plan just to take my kids, and then, God, you're so uh, uh, easy to read in as much as you want me just to accept new kids, like taking the first was no big deal. We're going to get to the end. It's going to say in verse 16, after this, like, okay, I'm, I'm forgetting my kids, my loved ones, so forth and so on. What I'm saying is, is that from the cosmic view, I think the last two verses help us to put suffering in its place. Mm. It's hard. It's dangerous. Mm. It's uh, absolutely emasculating sometimes to be brought to our knees like this. Then the re-engagement process, you know, now I've got to offer grace to these people that were actually acting unbeknownst to them as my arch enemies. Mm -hmm. And I get uh, my arch enemies. And so I get now to the end and I'm just supposed to kind of leave it there. Mm. Yeah. Now we know that he doesn't just leave it there because it has changed him. But it says, verse 17, and Job died an old man and full of days. Mm. That should concern us. Mm -hmm. It should concern us. I think it should be a discussion point mm. because the ending is for the whole story. And at the end, it says, full of days. Mm -hmm. That is to say, a content, satisfied with life kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And he was as great in his death as his life. Yeah. Part of the reason is because of the way Job handled his suffering. There's not a greater witness mm -hmm. in all the world. Yeah. And you know what? Um, it dawned on me as you kind of walking us to that end, that when we uh, when we come to Job with our question about he's suffering for nothing, nothing, we we have to confess that we find it hard to consider the experiences of life arbitrary. Yes. And so. We're always in search of meaning of the arbitrary. And really what ends up happening is, is no, no matter your, your theological bent in terms of wanting to say God did all of this for this reason— which I think you're right. There really isn't a statement in Job that says it's for this reason. And I think intentionally, because we are, we are faced with the arbitrariness of life. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I don't think God gave you a chemical imbalance in your brain. No, no, sir. That's an arbitrary experience of life. I think you and I could take a whole nother hour you actually, I think, have hinted already at some of the things that gone and contributed. Those are also were arbitrary. They were but now let me let me say this. Let me. I'm going to interrupt you real quick and say this because it goes direct with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's easier theologically and otherwise to live in the black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people will say, well, I, I'm pretty black and white. Right. Well, sometimes what they're saying is I refuse to live with the tension. Right. And when you're black and white, you have to have answers. And when you have to have answers and there are no answers, then you begin to uh, you, you begin promoting your own answers. Right. And they're probably not God's at all because there is a sense of mystery. And so it's too easy to live at the black and the white when you're talking about life in general, because as you said, it's arbitrary. Yeah, and and what we what we find is a friend of mine likes to say, uh, um, "Life is arbitrary; God is not," and that's really what you find here at the end. The the, the picture of grace, uh, rectification, restoration. You know, we get bogged down into how is it that losing all of his family is somehow made up in the double. I I I think that's missing the point. Uh, I, I think that it's, it then drives us back to, uh, that black and white answer instead of seeing that, look at what sort of person. So in the front end book in Job gets described as, uh, an upright man. Yes. And, and here, um, we finish with Job with a picture of him being a gracious man. And let me say this. At the end of the book, again, the end of the whole story, and Job died an old man and full of days. I think you have to, and this is why I said it bothers me. Here's why it bothers me. I think that there's an undercurrent here that, that carries along with it in its particular rip current a motif, and that is this, a reality that Job would not have died a man who was satisfied with life had he not gone through Mm, mm. the suffering. I think, I don't think it's a huge leap to get there. It's almost like now Job dies happy. So again, and I I think the encouragement really is like you've said, we have to, if life is arbitrary and suffering is a part of it, failure to embrace it, actually means a failure to live. Yes. Yes, Job so, so, had plenty so, of opportunities to quit. Exactly. I mean, his friends, his exactly. friends offered that over and over again. Over and again. Right. Yes. So, so I, I think you're right. And, and I, I think that's the, you know, in the throes of it, that may not be the most encouraging word. But if you're trying to present to someone as you have us today and in, in, in a, couple of prior podcasts, here's a process that helps move us. Uh, there's, there's some encouragement that gives us some awareness. Ah, let's go through it. And, and, and okay, uh, one, two, three for me. Uh, I think sometimes, uh, we see this in Job, that sometimes we feel like we have to almost suffer death before something or someone shows up to offer comfort. I think that's one of the things we look at in the book of Job. I think, mm-hmm. and if you want to put it in terms of a question, uh, does that mean that that the Jobs of the world, our Jobin experiences, does that mean that I'm going to feel abandoned and ignored uh, until the end and then people will show up? Well, that's quite possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think about our reference now, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys couldn't even pray. Mm-hmm. Then you ask yourself, okay, 
Does that mean that we're actually uh, and often crying out in our pain around other people who remain absolutely oblivious to our pain? That is what that means. They remain oblivious. They don't know how to respond. And I think the last question might be, in this arbitrary thing, using your verbiage called life, is there a pain that heals? Mm. Mm. And again, wow. I don't want to read the new back into the old, but I think the answer is a resounding yes. Yes. Good. Yeah. Man. Um, I don't know about those who might listen to this podcast, but I've got, I took, I've, I wrote some stuff down here as you were kind of describing these things. I got some stuff to chew on. I, I got some stuff to chew. Uh, that, that's, that's been very helpful. And, and I really, you know, if we can't talk about these sorts of things and find some practical kind of application as pastors, ministers, church leaders, and even folks who are trying to help their friends, then um, the theoretical is not terribly satisfying. And, no. and, and so... Uh, that's really one of our aims. So the idea of putting um, um, uh, pastor and theologian together is to draw out the practical pastoral side and where it's rooted in the theological, and hopefully we've done that today. I think we have to remember that we are called to live our theology. Mm -hmm. I think we have to remember that whether we like it or not, one of these days— we might have to have our theology to make it, which means in the Jobin context, you better believe the right thing. Mm, yeah, good. Well, Scott, this has been great. Now we're going to have to look for something else to get on and talk about, uh, but I'm certain we will be able to do that. Oh, I think I could probably flip back through Job and, uh, you know, come up with a few things because there's, the whole story is there, and we have but skimmed the surface. Well, maybe we'll just have to do that. Maybe what we'll have to do is say that this particular series draw, drawing out one of the themes. There are others. Maybe we should spend some time exploring some of those. I think a segment where a couple of pastors talk about the text in this way is actually helpful. So um, we'll, well have you to... Know, you you, you, talk about Job. you talk about Job, you know, what Job needed was evidently, uh, and I, boy, I don't want to get simplistic here, but he needed above all else, an encounter with God. Okay. Mm -hmm. So do we want to talk about encounters with God? Do we want to go back into Genesis 32, talk about Jacob and what that did for him or Isaiah? And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was in the temple and I saw God, I, you know, anyway, we can do it. Sure, sure, sure. Hey, listen, as always, I appreciate your time. Um, uh, know you're doing a great job, and, and I, I'm really glad you tipped your hat. I think in the end of the day is um, one thing that I'm reminded every time we talk is of uh, Peterson's little little book, Long Obedience is Same Direction, and so keep it up, man. Hey, bud, appreciate it. I uh, look forward to whatever the future might hold. I like what you're doing, man. I hope you found that conversation helpful. And if you did, here are a couple things. One, you may uh, need someone to talk to. Uh, as, as I mentioned last time, you could email me at doc.todd at gmail.com or podcast at patheological.com. And 
we'd uh, seek to connect you maybe in your area with someone who might be helpful, or I could probably put you in touch with Scott, and he would probably be more than happy to uh, uh, kind of help maybe with some of the questions that were raised that maybe we didn't give an answer to or some help along the way. If you also found this uh, uh, conversation helpful, maybe this series on this particular subject, then let me just be uh, unashamed to ask you if you'd go out to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Uh, share the podcast on Facebook or all of your social media channels. It, it helps us get found. And then, of course, if uh, as always, if you found this helpful, it, it provides a resource for others who also may find it. So I want to, uh, as always, thank you for listening uh, and taking the time to do so. And uh, we have some other uh, conversations down the line plans. Scott and I are also going to uh, kind of get together and see what sort of series we could put together in the next that would come out of the Old Testament, maybe even some more out of Job, but from a different angle. And so we'll uh, keep you alerted. You could sign up for updates by going to the website, toddlittleton.net or pathological.com, and sign up for the uh, newsletter. And every time an episode drops or a post is made, uh, you'd just receive an alert. No more spam than that. And, uh, and, and I'd be grateful if you'd take the time to do that. So until next time, this has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. Peace. Mm-hmm.